Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Isn't music a phenomenal thing? And that we, we get to have music in and around our lives all the time. It's so wonderful. Music can drive away loneliness. Uh, worship can just uh, just remove fear. You know, we've been looking at these uh, lessons on uh, faith responses to all the junk that's going around and all the news reports and. There's so many things that we know immediately of what's wrong in the earth today. And uh, I think things like worship and music were designed to get our arms wrapped around what's right and how important it is. One of the, and we're going to look at this much later in these lessons, but uh, music was such a, a strong and predominant thing, and worship was. Uh, for the for the early disciples, and you look at what Paul did when he was in uh, imprisoned the first time when he was just in jail on his way to Rome, and you know, and the doors of the they had an earthquake, and the doors were opened, and you think he'd go running out of there. Instead, he sat down with the other people he's jailed with, and they started worshiping, and the jailer was going to commit suicide because he would have had to been killed for losing all his prisoners. And that man came to faith because Paul stayed there and worshipped. <laughs> Didn't go anyplace. Our immediate response is to get away. And he stayed and worshipped. Worship is so powerful. You know, I didn't encourage you to, to uh, yeah, let's just read it. I was going to say, get you to do it this week. This isn't in my notes, but just, just hear this. This is a, a, because it does have to do about being accepted in the beloved and how significant and important worship is to God. This is a story in, you find in Luke chapter 7, and it's about a woman who's called, they call her a sinful woman. Uh, uh, and no offense to the gender, but every woman I know has been a sinful woman. So is every man. Uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. <laughs> So it's funny how we label things. How, it's really interesting how they labeled things in the Word of God because when we read those labels, then we start reading it that way instead of reading it how it was supposed to be written to us. But listen to this story again. This is Jesus coming into someone's home. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city... Who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash 
his feet with her tears. You got to cry a lot to wash somebody's feet. I got big old honking feet, man. I don't know how big Jesus' feet were, but you have to cry a lot to wash somebody's feet. This woman was bawling. She was just weeping. And she wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Stunning. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he spoke to himself saying, said it inside of himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, now guy didn't ask a question. And Jesus answered him and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. He said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, He's looking at the woman and he's talking to Simon. If you can, if you can grasp this image, it's, it's so explicit. Do you see this woman? Notice he didn't call her a sinful woman. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed. My feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of their head. He gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For the one that loves much but to whom little is forgiven the same loves little nineteen seventy six a pastor by the name of John Castile delivered a sermon to us about this passage of scripture and worship and it has profoundly affected my life all the days of my life since I heard it about how significant it is when we come in to worship together to see ourselves as that woman, even though we're no longer sinners. And that worship is designed by God so that we can express to Him the gratefulness that's in our heart for what He has done. And that we, time and again, we anoint His head with oil. We kiss Him as we come in with our worship. How important is it to God? It's everything to God. It's, it's everything. If the few glimpses we get into heaven, what it really shows is worship. All the saints bow down. The elders cast their crowns before him. And this significance of this passage of scripture, worship is our way of understanding that God has accepted us. Worship is from 
us to the one who did everything. Wouldn't it be phenomenal if you really could at any given moment of time fall at the feet of Jesus? And it sounds really weird, but wouldn't you give anything just to bow and kiss his feet? He loves that about us. This is what he received from this woman. And he wasn't trying to put Simon down or put him in his place. He was trying to tell us how he feels about when people venerate him. And do that. It touches something in God's heart that goes beyond even humanness and human response. Worship is human response, but God receives it in such a way that it becomes something way more significant than just the human response. And uh, I just want to encourage you, with all the trouble that's going on, whatever fear, whatever anxiety, whatever anger you're feeling, whatever it is, counter that with that much worship. For as much time as you get on your phone and see what the next news story is, counter that with the same amount of worship time. Not in a legalistic way. If anything, you should know I'm not bound by legalism. It's an invitation to you to, to come in and, and again make worship such a significant part of your own personal life, young and old. Uh, God loved the children who worshipped him. And God loves an old man that worships him. And that's his, his desire, is that's actually what we do. I don't know how much, you know, so much has been made about prayer and spiritual warfare in our generation and all that. I'll tell you what, you want to do warfare, worship God. Call out to the light. I know there's a time to... Stand against darkness. I understand all that. And I understand all that. But I want to say what John Wimber used to say. Bring a light bringer. Be that light bringer. Be the one that calls out to the light to come. And uh, I don't know how successful I've been at chasing away the darkness. Most of the time I get, just get scared like everybody else. I grew up being scared of the dark. But I know this. I know how to call out to light. Because all I have to do is go, Jesus, he's light. When I hurt, Jesus, Jesus. When my brother decided that he wanted to live a little bit longer, and, and he was 63 at the time, and he'd been an alcoholic most of his life, and he decided to quit drinking, and uh, I said, well, how'd you do that without going through a treatment program? We're talking about 50 years of alcoholism. He did it cold turkey on his own. And I know, if you know anything about alcoholism and that amount of drinking in your life, it's, it's hell. Not quite probably as bad as heroin, but pretty doggone close. And I said, what did you do? And he said, I prayed. I said, what did you, who did you pray to? He said, well, Jesus. I didn't even know he knew who Jesus was. I was pretty convinced in my judgmental heart that he didn't. But that's who he prayed to. I said, well, 
how often did you pray? And he said, I prayed. I prayed all the time. I couldn't, he said, I couldn't get through three seconds. In the first two weeks, he couldn't even hold a plate of food. He had tremors so bad, it would, the food wouldn't stay on the plate. And he couldn't eat much anyway. And Anything he did is just terrible. He's calling on the name of Jesus. Whenever we're scared, whenever it looks overwhelming, whatever fear you're facing, and that can be, Randy Fulmer's here, he's been facing death. I know the God who he called out to. He's Jesus, Jesus help me. Call out to the light. Call for him to come to us. I want to pray where we're scared right now. We'll get into the sermon and I'll keep you here way too long, but I want, to, I want us to pray right now. Lord, every one of our fears, we call out to your name. Jesus. Every one of our hurt places are not knowing what the future looks like and what it holds. We call out to your name, Jesus. Just like you came into Simon's house. Lord, we can use so much symbolism. I don't think you ever leave, but come into our house again and shine your light into us. Chase away the fear and the darkness. Help us to see when we see who you are and we acknowledge that and we kiss you and Anoint your head with oil, with song. When we cover your feet with our, with our prayers and our singing, you respond. You initiated it. You came in. We respond with worship and love this morning, knowing that your response was to instill faith in our hearts that you're with us. So do that for everybody in this congregation, the ones that are here and the ones that couldn't be here. We pray it for them as well. You are the God who is with us. And we live in your promises. And the ones who received it said, that's really important. This is a uh, a long teaching it's just really it's going to be filled with so many parts but it's looking at and I want to just keep, keep us in this expression this morning of there is only one way you can get through life and that's learning what a faith response is um, faith isn't make believe faith isn't pretending faith is seeing what God has done and seeing who he is and responding to it. It says in, in Hebrews 11 that uh, though the whole idea of what faith is is the response of who God is. God is something. And so when our faith says, you are this in my life, then faith happens. And when faith happens, faith happens. And when faith happens, faith happens. We think faith is supposed to eliminate things. And uh, 
or to change circumstances and stuff. But faith is for the heart to be, to be able to grow in an understanding that God's with me. He is. Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Does it happen without diligence? Well, this is how I measure diligence. Help, Lord. The weakest diligence on my part, God sees as a faith act coming from my heart. And it does something, not just for us, but it does something in God's response. And as God responds to our hearts, then our hearts do something. Then we want to respond to God. God is so much the initiator in our lives. And when our lives are filled with uh, trouble or turmoil or fear or any of that, uh, there's not immediately, I don't know how you are, this is what my brain tends to do. It immediately wants to move. I don't know if it's because I was trained that way. I immediately want to move into a negotiation to figure out where I've got myself in the way. I don't know how many of you are wired like that. Some aren't. Some have, some have an understanding. They don't, well, some don't ever think they're the one that is the issue. Uh, but I often see Myself gets in the way. I have to, everything that I've, I've tried to share and teach with you guys, I have struggled with massively. It's not, oh, I got it. I'm, a, I'm up on the mountain. Come change me. No, I'm climbing just like you are. You know? Uh, anybody ever read Langston Hughes? Do you know who Langston Hughes is? Okay, you unread Philistines. <laughs> Uh, Langston Hughes was at one time the black poet laureate in, um, in America and he wrote this incredible poem that was called, it was about his mom. It was Life Ain't Been, <clears throat> it's called Crystal Stare. And it goes something, I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but, uh, and, and it's done in, in a dialogue and in a dialect, but life ain't been no crystal stairs, but I still a climbing. I still a climbing. It was about his mom and how he saw her live her life before him. And it wasn't easy. And it was filled with turmoil and stuff. That's what, that's what our faith response is to be. Um, move away from faith negotiations that try to either change the circumstance or or the escapism prayers that get us out of them. And instead, ask God to be with you as you go through them and to daily show you what the next step is. That is a great prayer of faith. That's an incredible prayer to say, help me see the next step. Just like my brother had to to break, to get through the, the effects of what he had done to his mind and body, his nervous system and all that, just, God, help me now. Help me right now. Help me see this now. And that's a way to respond to it in our lives. And uh, usually when I get done reading a bad report, I usually get mad and say something out of, out of off the top of my head that I probably shouldn't. And, uh, but when I go for my walk and start exercising 
in my driveway, I take all those things and I just start expressing to God, Lord, you're still the king of kings over this area. You're still the ones. And Lord, I, I don't know how to get through this without you. And you know what? That's a great prayer. It's a good prayer. It's a sounding prayer for each one of us. When you start negotiating and you get yourself in the way, you don't think that you're okay. It's a horrible trap. So I'm going to give you a warning even about a lot of prophetic words that come out to the body of Christ in the Church of America. And you may have a guy that you think is a prophet and that you follow, and I'm not putting that down. or any, You follow who you want. But anybody that tells you to make sure that you don't have any area of unconfessed sin, that there's something in the way between you and your relationship in order for you to relate to God, dump it in the trash can. Now, I'm not saying the prophecy's wrong. It's just that when they tell you that you need to do that first, that sets up a negotiation in your heart that there is something in the way between you and God. Here's what instead you want to focus on. This is found in Ephesians 1. You don't have to work hard to get accepted. Listen to it. That's not the good news, it's not the gospel. The good news is that Christ has accepted me. So listen to this. Hear it again as we read it. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with a few spiritual blessings. No. With every. How many? Every spirit. How many spiritual blessings does God contain? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In Christ. He's, remember, he just said in Christ in the heavenly places. As God's focused on it and looking at it, he sees it before the foundation of the world. Before Ukraine was ever Ukraine. Before any country was, before the Roman Empire was the Roman Empire. Before the flood came, the foundation of the world, we were chosen in God. Oh, it's stunning. He chose us first. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love that's how he chose us remember that's not how you see yourself make sure there's no area having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us, and here's the operative thing to this whole sentence, accepted in the beloved. Whenever I set up and get in fear or pain or turmoil or even sin, the minute I do that and I don't feel like I'm in a good place, it's a declaration that I'm scared that I'm not accepted. 
I am running into something that says, oh, that was just, uh, just a tiny step over the line and now I'm in trouble with God. But it doesn't say that, beloved. It says something quite different. Before the foundations of the world, because I have received Christ and I'm in Christ, I am accepted. I don't have to convince God that he needs to be okay with me because I'm really serious about this this time. And I mean it, God. I'm really going to turn from all... And you'll start negotiating. I mean it. I'm as sick of it as you are. We pray the strangest prayers. How do we... Instead of kissing his feet, joining his head with oil, taking hair, if you want to know what hair is symbolic of, it's not just glory. Hair, hair is symbolic of prayers and thoughts. <sighs> Our call into this is to see this, that God is the one who determined my acceptance. You are accepted because he was nailed to a cross. It's the only reason. The reason to worship him is he took everything that keeps you from being accepted and nails it to a tree. That's the good news. And then if it... Ugh, Read Galatians 2 sometime this week and see what, what Paul declared about that, what he received. Because it, it's stunning. Because he, may, he makes it, he, he is talking to a church that he planted and then they went off and started doing other stuff, other than, listening to a different gospel than the one he preached. And so he starts telling them, look, you may have doubts as to whether this was God. And then he tells them who he was what he was doing, how God interrupted him, what God showed him that he wasn't taught from any other human being that it was a revelation of Jesus Christ to him. And that he didn't even talk to any of the leaders of the church about it for three years. Then after he went and met with them and told them what happened to their life, then he went back into isolation for 14 years. Just to know. To get everything accepted in the beloved. Stunning. No wonder. He, this is the stuff when he said, I received the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's saying here, all of it that he said, but what he's saying here in Ephesians is what he received. What do you receive? How do you receive it? If there's nothing in the way then I am, if I'm accepted in the beloved, then I can see that God's the initiator and that I am the one to receive. So you look at the next thing, and, and this is why it's such good news when, there, when there's times of turmoil and why our faith response needs to get wrapped around this. Whether it's a personal problem or praying over Russia invading Ukraine. Whatever it is, the politics that you don't like today, the price of vehicles, and how they change. 
My truck is worth the same that I purchased it for four years ago right now. But you know what? It's still going to rust. The kind of acceptance that Paul is writing about here doesn't have to do with circumstances. It has to do with the covenant of grace and that God takes all the initiative in your life. Do you know that your spiritual life is not dependent on you initiating it? You're probably going to try and hopefully you will try and initiate worship tomorrow because of what you heard here today. But really, it's not you initiating it. Worship is a response to, to the declaration of who God is. And we just keep that focused. Um, my heart is to respond. The more I learn to respond, the more I can enter into this thing of becoming secure that I'm accepted. God takes all the initiative. You look at the first one. You can just look at, let's look at a couple of them. But actually you can go through the entire New Testament and find out all the things that God initiates into your life. Uh, we love God. Why? He first loved us. No human being ever initiated love towards God. God initiated love towards this. And in what manner? How did God love us? God so loved the world that he gave us or sent his son, Jesus. What does the love of God look like to you? Jesus. Now kiss his head, wash his feet with your tears, and wipe them with every thought that you know how to Gently wipe and really go, oh my God, my God, my God, thank you for loving me. And it delights his heart. That's the amazing thing. He doesn't go, yeah, I heard it a thousand times. No, 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 stop, please. He goes, oh. Remember the first time your baby smiled at you? For those of you that had children, they're all grown up now. I looked at a picture of my three little ones from years ago last night. It just caught my eye. I went, oh God, it all went way too fast. I just started crying. And I remembered, uh, I could, so many stories bringing Tanner home from the hospital, and Brenda was exhausted after years of labor, so, um, and went to sleep. I mean, the girl, the girl was out of it. And I just changed his diaper, and it's Arizona, so it's hot, so I didn't have any clothes on it, and, I, and he was laying on my chest, and the whole bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh stuff came out. I thought, it doesn't get any better than this. God feels that a million times squared over you when you say, I love you to him. He's going, it doesn't get any better than this. He never discounts your act of 
reciprocal love. He always, it counts so much. Does he store them in a book? I don't know. It just counts. Don't overthink it. Just receive it. I love him because he first loved me. The other thing that he initiates first is, this is a stunning one. Because this is where that acceptance thing, where usually the acceptance is something that we did that we think God's not okay with. And so we're pretty sure it's keeping us from being heard by him or something. Look at Colossians 2. God forgives you first. He initiates the forgiveness. We think we're initiating something, Lord, and we, we call that repentance. Repentance is actually thinking completely differently than the way you thought. And you being what? Dead. In your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. We're accepted. There's nothing against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to a cross. There's nothing between you and God. Now, you've heard me say this a hundred times. You'll probably, if you stick with me, you're going to hear it, I hope, a hundred more times. Don't go to God to get forgiven. Go to God because you are forgiven. Don't go to negotiate. Run to Him because it's already been taken care of. It's already... Uh, they would say, where's Danny? He would say in Northern Ireland, you've got to sort this out. No, there's nothing to sort out. It's done. It's sealed. The deal is made. Set for all eternity. Before the foundations of the world. I'm already forgiven. I don't have to convince God to forgive me. What it is with most of us, and me like you, is I'm mad at myself and don't know how to forgive myself. So I can't get beyond it. Because I think it's okay for you and you and you, but for me, which is the most arrogant statement I can think of anybody saying, well, I know God forgives you, but you don't know what I did. Human thinking that removes us from seeing ourselves as accepted. I'm accepted. Well, that means you're just telling people, go lottie, lottie, lie, and go do whatever you want. No, whatever I want is to be in Christ now. That's a really good feeling. I like being clean. I don't like feeling icky. He forgives us first. And above all things, if you look at Romans 15, 7, he accepts us first. And Paul says this at the end of Romans, therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. We sing the old song, God accepts you just the way you are. No, really, God accepts you in spite of how you are. That's really the... 
And spite being the sense of him, what it says in Hebrews, despising the shame. Everything that that. God. Isn't he amazing? He takes all of this out of the way. And then we don't preach a different gospel to other people. Tell them how easy it is. You're making it too easy. No, it's not easy. They don't know how easy it is. How easy is it? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did they repent? You don't see that in Romans. It just says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. What does a believing heart believe? That God was raised from the dead. But you're missing the equation. Ah. No equation faith. Faith believes and receives. Believes and receives. How do I receive? How do I receive his acceptance? You say exactly that. Does he need to hear that? Does he need to hear you say that? No, you do. You need to hear yourself say to God, and, and this is especially because when we're younger, this is what's really hard because God doesn't seem to answer every prayer when I was younger. But I know he will answer this one is this. God, I don't know what this is all about, but I receive everything that you want for me and have for me and that you died for me, you died as me, and you were raised from the dead, and you see me as complete, lacking nothing. And I receive that right now. That simple prayer changes a lifetime. It changes a lifetime. How important are words? Very important. That's why worship's so important. If you're going to worship God, Psalm 50 says, make sure you order your conversation, all right? In the old King James, it says your conduct. But make sure that you say, speak that which is right of God. Don't elevate what you've done over what he's done. Do you get that? Don't ever elevate what you did as being above what he did. He's the great trump card. <laughs> he is Romans 8 1. There is therefore now incredible. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you wonder, if you if you don't even not even sure if you're in Christ and you would like to be sure, just say, Jesus, I want to make sure I'm in you, so I'm in you, right? His response is, yeah, kid, you're in me. And I in you, and you in me, just like I was in the Father, and the Father was in me. This is what I've accomplished, accepted in the Beloved. And thus we worship. When we have the team come up. So, and, uh, So for, it's, it's my time of life right now to be, not my time of life, it's, my, it's a time in my life right now in which I'm thinking back to years ago, and you'll go through this too, but 
remembering my early Christianity and oh, it's so important. And I wasn't. I w- wish I could have been a teenager, and I wish I could have been a even at like you children that are here and and hearing this. I wish I could have done that. I didn't get to know him until I was an adult, and he's assured me over those things. But remembering my furthest aspects of of uh, of that journey of faith and into him and what he saw uh, and I didn't even like this kind of music but we used to have this uh, family come around to this church called Grace Chapel in Tucson Arizona and there there was this family and the guy was bald and it was a whole family is one of those Christian family singers that I'm usually not wild about that kind of music um, but they always did this song about the, the Holy Ghost you know, that all you had to do was call out, start singing to him. The Holy Ghost would fill your heart with laughter. And the Holy Ghost would set your feet a dancing and your heart a dancing too. And at first it was such a, I mean, I'd come out of hippiedom, you know, and, you know, singing Joe Bird and the field hippie stuff. And they were singing the most simple song about their relationship to God. And I went, oh boy, that did something in me. Because even though I didn't like it, it became a worm in my head. And it kept bringing me back to being accepted in the beloved. Van Morrison, when he's reminiscing, he says, come back. He says, I want to go way back. It's on the hymns of silence way way back way way back come on go way back to me even if that's three months come way back that first expression of love that you had to Jesus your first faith response even when things and people tried to steal it away from you you're not so old that you can't remember that Jesus loving you just as you are. Not demanding anything of you. Jesus accepting you just as you were. Does he want to grow you and change you? 100%. Will he leave you alone? You pray absolutely not. But again, right now, today, Just like that first moment of accepting, He accepts you. You don't have to prove anything. There's nothing in the way. You and Him. Let me pray for us. God, I pray for each of our hearts that if, one, if this has never been established, if you've never called on the name of the Lord in that way, call on the name of the Lord. He accepts you right now, today, forever. And for each of us that have called and now have stuff in the way, there's nothing in the way. Nothing between you and God. He's with you right now. He loves you with an everlasting love. He'll never leave you. He'll never make you do something. He will care for you like no one has cared for you.
He will make a way where there doesn't seem like there's a way. It will come to pass. And your heart will rejoice because you'll know it's your God again and again and again and again and again and again. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. In Jesus' name. face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.